Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Hey there, Hilary here. Did you know that every episode is brought to you by someone or something special? This week's episode is brought to you by our own 29-day fertility meditation challenge. That's right. It was such a hit the first time I brought it back for the fall. It begins August 26, 2018, and you can sign up on the homepage of ladypotions.com. Now, real quick, before we get started with our beloved guest, I have to say, today's show is not quite like it usually is. The stars were not aligned, shall we say, when it came to technology, so you might hear some crackling or some fallouts that are not our normal sound quality. I just wanted to say that I totally acknowledge that, but even though the stars weren't aligned, I don't know, maybe it was Mercury retrograde, when it came to technology, they absolutely were when it came to our conversation. So rather than risk not getting those nuggets or having it feel like a staged conversation, because it definitely wasn't, I wanted to bring you the original episode. But just know that this is not our normal sound quality, and we're aware and checking into what we can do to make sure it's never a problem again. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Fertile Minds Radio. I'm your host, Hilary Talbot Roland. Today, I have a super exciting guest. Parijat Deshpande. She is a leading high-risk pregnancy expert, perinatal mind-body wellness counselor, speaker, and author who guides women to quickly and effectively release their stress during their high-risk pregnancy so that they can give their baby a strong start to life. Her unique approach has served hundreds of women to manage pregnancy complications and reclaim a safety and trust in their bodies that they thought was eroded forever. Parijat is a best-selling author of Pregnancy Brain, a mind-body approach to stress management during a high-risk pregnancy, which I happen to think should be required reading for anyone considering IVF. She is also the host of a popular podcast called Delivering Miracles that discusses the real raw side of family building, including infertility, loss, high-risk pregnancy, bed rest, immaturity, and healing once the baby comes home. I absolutely love her podcasts, and if you are a listener of mine, you will too. She's not afraid to swim in some deep waters and talk about the tough aspects of infertility and pregnancy. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So you are totally a girl after my own heart. You're a self-proclaimed nerd. You're recovering type air. And we also share an affinity for the same binge-watching TV shows when we do take our heads out of the book. I mean, Bradley Cooper's Limitless. (laughs) Can we somehow get that back on? You think we could manifest that together? I think that is absolutely necessary. Yes. (laughs) So you are not only an expert in this field, and um, you have a degree in psychology, but you really came to this organically. You've overcome infertility, and you endured a high-risk pregnancy. Uh, yourself. And so your book is just this brilliant weave of science behind mindfulness and what it does to high-risk pregnancy, as well as your intimate accounts. And I just want to say thank you for being so raw and vulnerable. I think our listeners need to know that they're not alone and that they need to be able to hear rough stories like yours that end in such a positive, uplifting way. 
Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I am so, so glad that it resonates. And that was exactly the intention of the book. I remember going through this whole experience feeling like, I know I'm not the only one going through this, but why do I feel like I'm the only one going through this? And I really wanted to write a book where it, even if you're completely isolated, like I was on bed rest, that you still feel like there's somebody right there with you who just gets it. Well, you certainly succeeded. I know I've given it to a few patients that are in high-risk pregnancies. And you know, after a few of them reading it, that was their comments of, oh my gosh, somebody gets it. And they feel like you're right there next to them, which is, is amazing because it's such an isolating time. Yeah, it really is. So your child is now five. He so is, yes. Not too much of a spoiler alert. <laughs> right. <laughs> He'll tell you he's five and a half. So let's just get that straight. He's five and a half. Well, I mean, I think he kind of came by that organically, right? Like you were counting down the dates. So <laughs> that's right. There were so many times when I found myself just tearing up and, and rooting for you and, and and MB as you refer to him in the in the book. No, oh. <laughs> literally out loud while I was reading. Um, and that's just so hard to do as a writer. This had to be healing for you to write. Gosh, it was it was such a journey. It was such a journey. You know, I've, over the years, I have shared the story and different parts of the story in different ways to different people. And once Delivering Miracles, the podcast came out, that was a huge leap in sharing a lot of the details of the story that I hadn't really shared with a lot of people. But this book, writing this book was, it was quite the experience to have to allow myself and trust that sharing this is going to be impactful, that it's, I'm not sharing it just to share it, but that I'm sharing it because there's this is not just my story. It's the story of thousands of women around the world who are struggling and suffering the way that I did. And knowing that there's somebody else who has been there, who has really had you know feet to the fire, walking through it all and has come out the other side. And that was the real motivation on the days where I'm like, why am I doing this? Is this a good idea? Is this too much? Um, that was really the the motivation to, to say, hey, this is what I wanted when I was going through it. So I'll just keep sharing. I, it was brilliant. I, cause I do think that, you know, you really kind of opened up after a couple chapters and started sharing more and that's where the book just took off and I finished it in one night. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, like I was, I just had to know what happened. I had to know what was going to happen to MB. So, and you, yeah. <laughs> of course, and your husband, but that's hard to share and not overshare, but you definitely did it. Thank you. But you do provide, you know, so much applicable advice in this book, especially around the rough emotional things. And um, you do a great job of pointing out some things that we don't necessarily, like we know, but you don't know until you're in it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right? Yeah. Totally. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about is one of my favorite four letter words that you bring up right away, which I feel like is kind of labeled as a dirty four little word for some women that have been experiencing infertility for a while, but your way of interpreting like why it's so important emotionally and is what it does scientifically to your body is so spot on. And that word is hope. Yeah. And I was just wondering if you could speak to our listeners a little bit about how that came to be for you of like not shying away from that. Like, is that something that you just intrinsically always had? Or was it that you knew the research? Because so many women shy away from it. Yeah, it's it's t really easy to shy away from it, especially when you've gone through infertility, when you've experienced loss, when you've experienced any kind of health challenges over and over and over. It's really easy to say, hey, I'm not going to actually feel that until there's proof that there's a reason to feel it, right? Which goes counter to what hope actually is, which is a trust and a faith 
that the outcome that you need or that you want will come about without having the evidence to feel it. You know, part of it is, as you've seen in the book, you know, part of it is just my nature. I'm just a very stubborn person. So um, I, you know, when I get something in my head, I stick to it. And, and still at the same time, I could feel, because if you've read the book, you know, there were many moments where I lost hope and I could feel in my body changes. I could feel my body changing when I was going down that path of this is not going to work. I'm not going to get pregnant or I'm going to lose this baby or whatever else was happening. There were physical changes that were happening in my body that I could feel. And that always woke me up. And that said, look, if, if I can feel this, my baby can feel this. And that's something I can control. And I don't want my baby feeling this, these, these contractions or the changes in the body or the, the bleeds that keep happening. Like I can stop that. I can stop that. It may not be 100% effective, but it is not 0% effective. And that's where my focus has to be. And that was really the motivating factor of maintaining that hope. It sounds hard to believe sometimes when you're in the thick of it that that's possible. But at the same time, what I found was so much of that hope comes from knowing your body so well and trusting your body, knowing that when you're in the room with your doctor, there are two experts in the room, your doctor as a medical expert and you as the expert on your body. And so regardless of what your doctor is telling you, all the statistics, all the bad news, regardless of your history, you know how your body is feeling right in this moment. And for me, that was the strongest source of hope going through every aspect of that fertility journey, as well as this high-risk pregnancy, is knowing that regardless of what else was happening, I knew how I was feeling. And if I was feeling okay in this particular moment, that was my shining light for that particular moment. And it just helped kind of build and build and build over time to keep me going for one more day, one more day, one more day. Yeah. There's definitely times where you could have spiraled out of control, but that connection that you had to your your body served you so well as the wake up call, like the alarm bell, basically. Yeah, exactly. I love that because I, I, like you, I kind of share this thought that affirmations don't really work. If we could just change our thoughts and have positive thoughts, we would all be on our merry way, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. The world would be a very different place. Yeah. The the missing link is like, what are those thoughts doing to your body and actually making you feel like what vibration are they causing in an emotion or a physiological response that you have to be aware to catch? And that's a lot of what you teach, right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, coming from the background of clinical psychology, being traditionally trained in psychotherapy, I was all about cognition and CBT and psychodynamic psychotherapy and just doing a lot of the mental work. And and I believe it in it very strongly. I, I find it to be very, very successful and very helpful, except for when you're going through something extremely physical, like fertility treatment, a high-risk pregnancy, or even medical challenges of any kind, chronic illness of any kind, chronic pain, anything like that, where it's such a physical experience, it really wasn't until I was the patient that I realized none of that's going to work for me right now. I know I need to be more positive, but I can't. What else can I do? And that's why I teach what I do is I literally tell my clients, and you read this in the book so many times, it doesn't matter what's going on in your head, focus on your body, get out of your head, get into your body, because that's where the work is going to be done. And I find that when we shift our attention that way, especially when we're going through something so physical like infertility or high-risk pregnancy, it actually gives us back control. 
because it's something we can do, right? Like, you know what it feels like to be thirsty. You know what it feels like in your mouth. You can recognize it and then you can go grab a glass of water and drink the water. And then you can notice how your body responds to the fact that you've given it exactly what it needs. And that positive feedback loop that's almost instantaneous is so, so essential to maintaining that hope that you had talked about earlier because it shows you that you can create immediate change in your body even when you're going through something like a high-risk pregnancy and things are falling apart all around you. Yes, for I agree 100%. And I found it really interesting that you are totally okay with the idea of control because you know I think so many of us that are in the mindfulness realm teach you know control is an illusion, it doesn't really exist. And you're like, oh, no, no, here is my aspect of control and I encourage you to take it back. Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I love that though, because when you tell, I, I mean, I can almost see like the eye roll when I tell patients that of like, this doesn't really exist. It's like saying time doesn't exist. It doesn't, but we need it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's, there's so much research behind it, how mood and our physical health is impacted by our sense of control. There's decades and decades of research about it. That doesn't mean we can control the outcome necessarily, right? If I could control the outcome, my son would not have been born at 24 weeks and five days. I would have pushed it out to 40, right? I can't, we can't control the big, big outcome, but we can control every step of the way to impact that outcome as best as possible. And we, we can't forget that. It's so important to remember because it gives us the strength to keep going one more day, one more day, one more day. It gives us the strength to be better advocates for ourselves, to speak up, to speak loudly, to get the right team on board, and then to make the right decisions for ourselves that are necessary for whatever health journey that we're on to help us get to or as close to our desired outcome that we possibly can. Yeah. And that, that is one of the, you have like a whole chapter on building your team, right? And that's one of the ways to ha to have, feel like you're in control is to realize that you hire and fire who works for you. And that could be your OB or high risk, you know, your uh, fetal maternal specialist, all of those people are fireable, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. They work for you. You have hired them like your gardener and your lawyer and your accountant. They work for you. And if you don't like the service they're providing, you can let them go and go find somebody else. Yeah. And I find it interesting that we as, well, I think men do it too, but I, you know, women's more so, at least in what I observe, there's almost this like fear that we're not going to please them in some way if we question them. Exactly. Yes. Or we'll hurt their feelings. Th those people didn't sleep for 10 years. <laughs> you can't hurt their feelings. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they are tough. That's fine if you question them. Absolutely. And I, I, I do feel like if you question them and they raise an eyebrow at you or treat you differently, then that is actually your indication to run in the opposite direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because especially when it comes to family building, and especially if you're talking about your OB, who could be there during delivery, when you are at your most vulnerable and at a time when you need to be the most comfortable, you don't want to have any doubts whatsoever about whether that person's the right person to be in the room with you when you're in that position. I have a lot of patients that, because where we live in Florida, there's a lot of teams. And so you don't really have control over who's going to deliver you, right? And it's always funny to me as soon as the patient comes in and is like, I'm good with the whole practice except this one. And I'm like, okay, it's time to make peace with that one before you accidentally beckon them into that delivery room with you. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I think a lot of the times that the the reason that that particular provider will make them uncomfortable is because they do engage in what you 
point out is the nocebo effect, which I think is something that's really important and nobody talks about. You hear about the heart of confidence from your provider and them making you feel safe. You don't hear about like medical hexing and then how they deliver negative news to you. And that's usually what's happening, at least in my experience of hearing about providers that people are uncomfortable with. Absolutely. And when you're going through fertility treatment, you're going through a high-risk pregnancy, there's a lot of opportunity to receive bad news. And it's so important that you find a doctor that's able to convey that appropriately, compassionately, and with this attitude of proactive management and hope goes back to that hope, right? Because it actually has a physical impact on your health, which is what that entire chapter is all about. Well, and it is difficult because like you point out, you know, when you are in infertility challenges or you are um, in a high-risk pregnancy, especially then, there are statistics that your provider has to tell you in order to feel like they are ethically doing the right thing. They have to share these with you so that you can make informed decisions. And while it is very much in the way of how they deliver that to you, it's up to us whether we decide to keep hope very much like you did of like, we didn't say a hundred percent. I'm that 1%. And that's, uh, you know, how do you hang on to that in those difficult moments? Do you have any advice for our listeners? You know, how did you remember? Was it just your body or was it your partner or how did you come back to that every single time or just pure stubbornness? (laughs) (laughs) There was definitely stubbornness mixed into it. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, but it was really, it was my body. It was my body. There was a moment when my water had broken at 23 weeks and two days, and there was just chaos all around me in the labor and delivery room. Everyone was preparing for the baby to come. There was lights and people and everything everywhere. And I remember saying to my husband, and I think I shared this in the book, that it's not the baby that's been having problems. It's my body. And while that was a you know self-disparaging comment at the time, um, what I was intending to say is I, I understand my body. And I know what it is capable of. And the same concept then came back the day that he was born is I could feel in my body, we were done. This was absolutely the end of the line. Up until then, I could feel in my body. I think we've got a few more hours or a few more days left. I think we can do this. I think we can do this. So so much of it is about really being super, super in tune with your body. What does your body feel like? When you're fighting, when you're resting, when you feel hope, when you are in pain, knowing that so intimately, it becomes this automatic source of information when you're in a crisis like that, because then you have the source of truth that you can rely on so that no matter what the statistics are that your doctor's saying, you can turn inwards and go, yeah, I hear you. I know I hear you that it's not a great situation, but I really think we've we've got a shot here. And that is that source of hope that helped me that I teach my clients and that I hope all of your listeners are able to tap into as well because we've all got access to it. It's a pretty remarkable thing to be that in touch with yourself. And I think your providers, if you have a close relationship, take you much more seriously when you are telling them with confidence what's happening in your body versus, well, I had this feeling and it might be this, but you know, you were pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Yeah, I was. I was, and I was very lucky to have created a team that trusted that from the very beginning. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. When you trust your body, 
it forces everybody around you to trust your body too. And then you're able to explain it very clearly what's happening. It's not, oh, I'm feeling some tightness in my belly. You can describe exactly how it feels, exactly where it feels. You'll know exactly what the triggers are, what the patterns are, so that it almost didn't even matter what the ultrasound showed. I was getting ultrasounds every few days, but it didn't matter because I knew when something was wrong. I just didn't know what was wrong. And they took me very seriously. And so I was always taken in and monitored whenever I raised a red flag because they knew I knew what was happening to my body, right? Right. And that's just, again, it goes back to, you know, we want to please our providers and we're scared of challenging them. And it's unfortunate because if you don't challenge them and something is really wrong and something goes horrifically wrong, especially in that like 20 to 24 week window, you know, how do you, how do you come back from that, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and that's so much of the motivation of doing the work that I do is, you know, I didn't make it to full term. I didn't even make it to the third trimester. So there's no guarantee of how far you're going to go. But the worst thing that can happen is whatever outcome you have, you walk away from it feeling like, what if I had done more? What if I had said that one thing? What if I had done that one thing? What if I didn't speak up? Enough? And those what ifs and all those doubts that stay with you, That is your own personal prison, I think, of living the rest of your life wondering what if you had done something different. And that's the goal of the work that I do. And that's the goal of, you know, what I want the readers to take away from reading Pregnancy Brain is just that there is so much you can do regardless of when you end up delivering or what ends up happening so that whatever happens, you know, you like squeeze that sponge dry and there was nothing left to do. And those thoughts then don't follow you and haunt you for the rest of your life. Okay, so let's talk about anxiety and fear and the difference of it because you do a great job of deciphering how to know the difference between the two. Before I even get into that, there's a really good reason why it's so important for me to explain that and why I spend so much time in the book explaining it because it feels the same. And the difference is that one of them is about a danger that's happening now and one of them is about a danger that could happen in the future but is not happening now. And knowing the difference actually impacts what you do in the moment. And that's why it's important to know the difference. And in Pregnancy Brain, I use the example of a plane crash because I think it highlights and expresses the difference clearly enough in that it's the difference between being scared that a plane will go down versus being in a plane that is on its way down. And the reason that's so important is because if you imagine if you're on the second situation, the plane's actually going down, somebody teaching you to breathe deeply and think positively is not going to help you because you're that's that's fear. That's what we know as the physiological experience of fear. And so these anxiety management tools that we rely on, you know, there's all these apps and the mindfulness techniques and all these things that we strategies that we teach and that we know about, they won't help you if you're actually experiencing fear versus anxiety, which can feel a lot like fear, is about something that is not happening yet. It could happen. And in the case of infertility or high-risk pregnancy, you might have a higher risk of something happening to you or the baby. And that's where the anxiety is coming from. But it is not happening right now. And to take yourself out of that future-focused emotion into the present can actually help you manage your anxiety really, really quickly because you stop trusting what those thoughts are telling you and you stop trusting the signals your body's giving you acting as if you're in danger when you know that you actually are not in this particular moment. 
I think that's such an important distinction, you know, that anxiety is the fear of the unknown and hasn't happened. And it's, it's all basically living in your head, right? Well, kind of. It's, you know, it's because I'm so body focused, it's actually living in your body too. Your body is responding as if the, the danger is right now. Right. And that's the, the danger in it physically is that you're actually creating those same chemical responses and pathways in your body just by allowing yourself to go down that rabbit hole of anxiety. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Right. And so just to be clear that the the anxiety isn't actually creating the complication, but it could negatively influence it, you know, to escalate or to get worse, right? Yeah, absolutely. It can exacerbate an existing complication. For example, if you have a subchorionic hemorrhage, it could irritate your uterus to cause another bleed. Or if you are you know, in preterm labor or having preterm contractions, it could actually kick off some preterm contractions. But it can also set the stage for and increase your risk of developing new complications as well. For example, when you're feeling anxiety, physiologically what happens is your blood glucose level goes through the roof. And if you're if you have enough of the risk factors for that, it could then all come together for you to develop gestational diabetes, for example. So it's not a cause and effect one-on-one relationship. It's one of the many risk factors that come together to help create pregnancy complications that involve the, either the immune system, the endocrine system, or the nervous system. So two things. I love the way you link those together. That is I I kind of explain those to my patients as they're like triplets separated at birth. And if one is under duress, somehow the other two are going to feel it and like over respond. (laughs) I love that. Because we isolate things down in Western medicine and we get so used to thinking that the systems work independently of one another when they're really inextricably intertwined. Absolutely. And I have, I've, I've actually witnessed that three times exactly. I can think of three patients right off the top of my head that were very close to intervention with gestational diabetes. Before they even started fertility treatments, they came for anxiety, right? That was their Achilles heel. Yes. Yes. You know, and you can get that under control to get pregnant, but then when you get pregnant, it's oftentimes another story, right? There's all these things that come out during that time, which is completely normal. But like you said, it's so much easier said than done to to manage that. And I mean, these were three women that ate impeccably well, maybe not even enough. And I would have put money on two of them being hypoglycemic and here they were showing up gestational diabetes. And I, I put my money on, okay, so let's, let's treat you before. Let's bring your stress response way down uh, and get you super relaxed before you go in there for that second test because there was no, and and they came back perfectly fine, passed it with flying colors. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's just the beauty of our body that it's capable of doing that. It's so amazing to me how flexible our body actually is when we look at it from such a connected place instead of something that's so disparate and so distinct like that because it then gives you all these different openings to address the exact same problem. If it doesn't work in one way, try another way, try another way. And ultimately the same outcome could happen, which is amazing. You and so you have this question in there, and when you're talking about anxiety and fear, that really hit home for me. And you know, it's one of those things like you don't know until you know. But in the book, you said, "Are you really ready to let go of the security of wearing?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." That's why we entertain anxiety as long as we do. It's it's that feeling of security, of planning for the worst. <laughs> Absolutely, it it. it taps into the type A personality, right? Of planning, yes. which I totally, totally resonate with. 
but there's that. And then it's comfortable because it's familiar and we do it over and over and over enough that it becomes that security blanket. And it just kind of becomes our go-to thing, just like anything that we rely on for comfort. This is the same thing. It sounds counterintuitive when you think about it because it's not comfortable at all to be feeling anxious or worrying all the time, but it's familiar and it actually is acting as a source of comfort because we know it so well. Right. You're, the ego part of your brain would rather manage what it knows, which is controlled chaos rather than what's on the other side of the fence, even if it's what you really, really want because it's never seen it before, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the other, I mean, your, your book is filled with things. I'm not going to go through the, the entire book, right? Because you should, if you're listening, you should definitely hop on Amazon and have this delivered to your door by Prime tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but one of the other things that you did such an amazing job of talking about that I talk a lot about on this podcast is grief because there's I mean, it's not a dinner table conversation when you've had a miscarriage or you're grieving. The fact that you've kind of lost your life or as you knew it or your relationships as you knew them, you know, when you did get pregnant or when you couldn't get pregnant, there's so much loss involved in this journey and not a great place to talk about it to other people. And sometimes even with your partner, that's a difficult thing. You know, the men don't really have a place to, to process their grief either. I, I find it fascinating how many people don't realize how it's affecting their physiology when they're just kind of containing it and it's literally leaking out of them in their behaviors and their, and their mannerisms. Um, and you did such a pointed expression of that um, and then also in the the sightings that you had, and you one of the sightings that really I read it out loud to my husband a couple of times because I was like, oh my gosh, like I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was this bad. And you pointed out that the experience of depressive symptoms during pregnancy, such as persistent low mood, hopelessness, or helplessness, poses a risk for preterm birth and low birth weight babies, similar to smoking ten or more cigarettes a day. Isn't that amazing? It blew my mind when I read that. I just I was like. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh my God, this is serious. Right. Because if you said to a woman like, you know, you don't want to uh, to hurt harm your baby, you wouldn't smoke 10 cigarettes a day. They would be like, no, of course not. But you're like, so let's process your grief. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm fine. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Yes. yes fine. Yes. The self-diagnosis. <laughs> oh, fine. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And it goes back to what you were saying earlier that our bodies are interconnected right? The systems in our body are interconnected. We cannot separate these emotional experiences from the physical. And it really shows up, especially in pregnancy, it will show up and it'll show up faster and it'll show up louder than when you're not pregnant because you're in this space where your body's trying to protect you and this new life. And so the threshold for being able to tolerate any kind of change is much lower and it's there for a reason, right? It doesn't mean you're weak or you can't handle it or anything like that. It's meant to be that way naturally. And so it's meant to do that to get your attention faster. And I think that's why it really shows up for a lot of women during pregnancy, things that they didn't even think were still issues with their related to their grief. And that's related to death or non-death losses. It shows up really loudly during pregnancy. And if you're able to pay attention, you're able to release that in a way that'll actually create changes in your physical health during your pregnancy, which if you already have complications is extremely important. Yes. So I do think even though it doesn't seem like it, cause you're so hormonal when you're pregnant, I feel like it's easier to process those feelings at that point and than it is when you have a newborn. <laughs> yeah. And they come up again, even louder. Oh yeah. Right. I totally agree with that. 
and you know, and I, I do, I will have some women say like, oh, I don't want to go through that while I'm pregnant because I don't want my baby to absorb it, which is understandable. But if you're really releasing it, then you're letting go and you're actually kind of giving them the first lesson they've ever had and what it means to actually live through an emotion instead of holding on to it to torment yourself with later. Absolutely. And I, I get, definitely get that worry. And that's part of the reason why I work the way that I do, because I do agree that you don't want to increase your stress by working through grief while you're pregnant. And that's why you have to find an approach that's gentle in releasing it, not so that you're reliving it and making yourself feel worse, but a gentle approach that's actually really working towards uprooting that grief completely from your body so that you can let it go. And that's absolutely possible to do even when you're pregnant. It's possible to do safely when you're pregnant. You do that kind of work on your master classes, right? You have a master class during pregnancy and one for infertility. I do. I've got several for pregnancy. I've definitely got um, one for when you're pregnant after fertility treatment or after infertility. There's many different options there that that do just that and teach you how to do just that. And you have been so kind as to offer our listeners a 15% discount if they're interested in working with you one-on-one in these master classes. Are they all six weeks in length? So the master classes are actually self-paced. So you just sign up and you get access to all the videos and you can do all the exercises completely on your own. And those, if you just, I think, put in the, the promo code, <laughs> promo code for uh, Fertile Minds, then you'll get 15% off of that. The one-on-one work is separate from the master classes. Um, and that's Fertile Minds. It's all lowercase, all one word. And you can find that code if you are, you know, running on a treadmill or driving down the road. Don't worry about remembering that. You can always go back to where this podcast is hosted at ladypotions.com and this will be episode 33. So that'll be ladypotions.com forward slash episode 33 to find that code and uh, the notes for this show. Uh, and before we tie up our discussion here, um, I wondered if you could give some advice to our listeners about making tough decisions, because I feel like that is kind of the crux of that infertility and high risk journey. It's just, you're exhausted. You have to make so many decisions. Yeah, really, really. They, they're just all high stakes decisions and there's so many of them. Decision fatigue is totally real. Like you do get to a point where you're like, I can't choose anymore. That totally happened to me once after my son was born. My husband asked what I wanted to eat for lunch and I burst into tears. I was like, I can't decide. I don't know. <laughs> it's real. I have those some days after a long day of work. <laughs> Like popcorn, popcorn's fine. Just don't add. Totally. <laughs> don't make me decide. Exactly. But that's because I was raised with very like good intentioned hippie-esque parents who wanted me to have all the leeway in the world around making decisions. <laughs> like they gave me so much latitude at a young age, which was great until I was out on my own and I was like totally overwhelmed and paralyzed. Like I had no foundation of like yes. how to do it. <laughs> Yeah. I just had my intuition, which was suddenly very quiet when I was alone. Right? <laughs> right. But you have a series of steps that you teach to help women feel good about making that decision. I do. Yeah. And going back to what we had talked about earlier, one of my biggest motivating factors for the work that I do is I don't want any of my clients to feel like they regret or hold any doubt with any decisions that they've made throughout this process. It's really, really important to me that we you're able to make con- confident decisions from a place of clarity. And that really starts with 
getting to a place of clarity. And I got to be honest with you, and I know it's really, really hard to do, especially when you feel like you're on a timeline, you don't have a lot of days or weeks or even minutes to make this choice. You've got to get your head clear. And you know, if it's during fertility treatment or even during your pregnancy and you have some time to make the decision, get out of your space, You know, get out of your house, get out of the doctor's office, go to the beach, go to the mountains, go somewhere else outside of your regular environment because you've got to bring your stress response down. You've got to bring your body to a place of safety and comfort because without that, you're going to make a decision from a place of anxiety and fear, which never, ever, ever works. That is where we get those experiences of regret and doubt that follow us through our life because we're not in that place of safety. And once you do that, you know, I think a lot of us are really good at making pro con lists. So keep doing that. Make the lists. Make sure you have all the information that you need to make the decision. Make sure you understand why the decision needs to be made. Sometimes that's the question that's left unanswered. Well, why do I need to make this decision? Why do I need to make it now? Make sure you have all that information. If you don't have that information, go back to your doctor and ask. Shoot them an email, call them, make an appointment, whatever you need to do, because you want to make a decision from an informed place where you have all of that information that's necessary. And then from there, and this is the part I think a lot of us forget to do, is it's really important to trust your body. Your body will tell you when you're on the right track and when you're not. And this is really important when you're going through fertility, infertility or fertility challenges or high-risk pregnancy, because sometimes the right decision is not the one that looks right on paper. And that can really hang us up where we go, I don't want to do that. That doesn't feel right. I don't want to. That doesn't sound right. Whatever. Your body's always telling you what the right thing is. And the way to know that is to think back to when you've made a decision that you've regretted. What is that decision that you've regretted that you're like, oh, I never should have done that. Maybe it was hiring an employee that you knew your gut just was like, this is not the right person for you. You know, hiring a nanny. Was it something that you ate? Anything. We've all made really low stakes decisions that were the wrong ones. Remember how your body felt in that moment. And then think of a time when you made the decision that was like, oh yeah, that's totally it. I'm not listening to anyone else. I know this is the right thing for me. How did your body feel then? Those are your anchor points. And the same anchor points are going to be there to guide you for the decisions, the really hard decisions you have to make about your family when you are going through infertility and a high-risk pregnancy. And that is where the confidence piece comes from. Without doing that, we're just in our heads and we're missing a ton of information that our body's giving us to guide us in the right direction. Oh, that's so spot on and so beautiful. If you're listening, this is not just coming from theory. This is not somebody that just read this in a book. This is somebody that studied this and then lived it. When you read Pregnancy Brain and you truly understand the -the in-the-moment tough decisions that she and her husband had to make, I think you will be, you will feel quite well following her advice on how to make a decision. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. Trust me, when you get towards the end of this book, you won't be able to put it down. Um, And if you haven't had really major high-risk issues or fertility challenges and you're just starting out, you know, read this book because it might give you some, um, might make you back up and give you some deep perspective on what exactly you're feeling and going through and your struggles, not to minimize them at all, but it'll give you some groundwork of how to deal with them. And then also to understand, you know, it can, it can always be worse, right? <laughs> there can always be something, a, a bigger struggle than what we're currently dealing with. Um, and her book does such a beautiful job of helping you process your own stuff, but also realizing that there things don't always go as we plan. <laughs> Isn't that true? Right. <laughs> 
so what is next for you? You've done these master classes, you've written a book, you have a beautiful five-year-old son. What's what's next on the horizon? Next on the horizon is doing it again. We are expecting a little baby at the end of this year. Our uh, gestational carrier is keeping our little girl very safe and very happy. And we've made it well past 24 weeks, which is blowing my mind that, that that's possible for us. And we have a chance at having a full-term baby at home who's healthy and happy and wonderful. So that's immediately what's next on the horizon is, is doing it again. Oh, that's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that means you're going to have what? You're going to have like a new year's baby? Uh, not quite. We'll have a Halloween baby. Halloween. Okay. Yeah. That's exciting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Talk about relinquishing control. You had a surrogate. Oh my goodness. That's a whole other book, I think. <laughs> I, I was just going to ask you. I think I think that's one that absolutely needs to be written. <laughs> yeah, I imagine when she gets a little older, she'll be like, where's my book? How come I don't have one? <laughs> <laughs> so how, I'm curious because you have a five-year-old. So how long did it take you start to finish write this book? Because this is, you know, it's pretty profound. The very first time somebody mentioned that I should write a book and planted that seed was when he was in the NICU. I don't think he was even two months old. He was still ventilated. like He was still very much in the weeds. And one of the nurses said, you should write a book. And I thought she was crazy. But the seed was planted. And so all this time, in the back of my head, something was brewing. You got to write a book. You got to write a book. You got to write a book. And I kept pushing it away going, I'm not an author. I don't know how to write. I don't. Who wants to read my story? Who wants to read what I have to say? I don't know. So that whole thing kept happening. And it wasn't until last year, around fall of last year, when within the span of about 36 hours, I had three people who don't know each other at all call me for different reasons going, so when's your book coming out again? I said, all right, okay, I hear you, universe. (laughs) Somebody's telling me something here. And so when I sat down to actually write it from start to finish from actually writing it, it was about um, eight, eight months because the book was already written in my head. And I'd already done the research and I was already doing the client work and all of it was just there. It just, I needed to sit down and get it out on paper. Yeah. And piece it together like the puzzle. And piece it together. beautiful puzzle that it was. Thank you so much. Uh, Well, the infertility world is definitely a better place because of this book. So you owe it to yourself to check it out. Pregnancy Brain, a mind-body approach to stress management during a high-risk pregnancy. Or you can also catch her podcast, Delivering Miracles on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere that you can download podcasts. Thank you so much. If you had anything else, one piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be? I think it would be to trust yourself. You know what you need to do. You know what decisions you need to make. You know what your body, your family, your baby, what you need. You know it. It's right there. Tune out the rest of the noise and really pay attention and trust that because you've got that wisdom that no one else has. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on your um, impending bundle of joy. And I can't wait to connect again for book number two. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening.